All right. Welcome to the National CMV Foundation's podcast. I am Kalia Fleming, the executive director of the National CMV Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the United States, affecting approximately 30,000 children a year. The National CMV Foundation is dedicated to educating women of childbearing age about congenital cytomegalovirus. Our podcast series seeks to do just this by highlighting advocacy, education, and scientific advances in the space and field of congenital CMV. I will now turn it over to Shane, my co-host for today's episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Shane Gaffney. I am a volunteer at the National CMV Foundation, as well as a CMV dad. And I'm involved in the events side of the foundation, uh, organizing strides for CMV, as well as Grace's Run. Awesome. Thank you, Shane, for being with us today as our amazing co-host. I would now like to introduce our two phenomenal guests. We have two amazing CMV dads, Andy Jones, who's a personal injury and litigations attorney with Corey Watson Attorneys, and Nick, who's an aquatic coach. And so we wanted to make sure we took time leading into Father's Day, into CMV Awareness Month, to really kind of highlight and honor and create a space for CMV dads to share their challenges, their struggles, their triumphs, and what a day in the life of a CMV parent looks like. We often discuss maternal and child health and CMV from the perspective of the mom or the mother. And uh, Shane and I decided it would be a really great idea to, again, as we lead into June, to really hear the perspectives of some fathers and their journeys in the space of CMV. And so without further ado, we will certainly get started. Nick and Andy, if you just want to kick it off and tell us just briefly your experience along the CMV spectrum and your journey in the CMV space. Okay, thanks, Clea. Uh, so last March 28th, um, you know, my wife was 30 week, 38, five weeks pregnant with our uh, third child, a boy, uh, our first boy. And it was just kind of a regular day. And she went in for her appointment. And unfortunately, his heart rate was low. And, and uh, she had an emergency C-section and our son Ross was born and was in the NICU for three and a half days with organ failure, virtually every organ, uh, just had a really, really rough go of it. And honestly, we had no idea what the cause was. And the doctors were really able to explain to us why that had been that way. Uh, you know, never heard the word CMV a single time. Unfortunately, he passed away after a three and a half day battle. Um, we thankfully asked them to do an autopsy and we heard the results from that and talked to the doctor probably two months later and were told that he had had a terrible CMV infection and that it was probably contracted, you know, maybe first trimester very, very early and passed on to him and that it had time, unfortunately, to do devastating damage and ultimately took his life. Uh, so. Since then, my CMV journey has been, uh, you know, kind of being with my family and uh, just learning about this devastating virus and kind of pulling together and weathering the effects of that. Uh, now we're a little over a year and a month through it and are all really interested and, and passionate about trying to spread the message. I don't think I've talked to a single person yet who isn't involved in this group that knew what CMV was before we you know, shared our story. Kind of mind blowing, and I hope something we can change. Absolutely. What about you, Nick? Yeah, um, my my story is our our daughter Isla was born 
uh, in May of 2017, so three years ago now. Um, and uh, everything was uh, normal with her birth. She was born asymptomatic. And uh, just about when she, before she turned one, um, was kind of the first signs of uh, things where um, we had some family members that uh, had uh, watched her when my wife and I were both out of town um, and uh, dog had barked near her head and she hadn't responded to it and pan had dropped in a kitchen and she hadn't responded to it. And so um, they let us know that they thought she might have hearing loss and uh, kind of hesitantly because people don't like to tell other people that there's something wrong with uh, their child. But uh, we were very open with it. And we, um, at our appointment, we let the doctor know uh, that we wanted them to check her hearing. Um, and uh, so we got a hearing test scheduled. And um, she had profound hearing loss in both ears at that time. Um, so it was interesting because other than that, it was kind of out of the blue, um, had happened progressively and she was alert enough and everything we, we didn't know if she was ignoring us sometimes or not. Um, and so, uh, she was profoundly deaf in both ears. Uh, I think she had 110 decibels was where she was at. And which is like, if a firecracker went off right next to your head, her reaction would be like a scrunched eyebrow. Um, and from there, we started going down the path of uh, getting cochlear implants um, to uh, help her hear and uh, explore that option. And um, the ENT or surgeon uh, gave us a call uh, when they did the MRI to check and see if she had all the correct anatomy um, to qualify for the surgery. It, like if you don't have an auditory nerve, then uh, cochlear implants isn't an option anymore. Uh, and right. so they did that, uh, MRI and the surgeon called my wife and let her, let her know that, uh, our daughter had three cysts in her brain and, uh, extensive white matter damage, uh, to her brain. And, um, that based on that and the hearing loss that, uh, his estimation was that, uh, she had CMV. And so it, that and that um, they did the genetic testing for hearing loss and uh, she didn't have the genetic component with that. And so sure. CMV is the number one non-genetic cause of hearing loss. And with the white matter damage and everything, the doctor kind of put some dots together. Um, and then we had a, they tested the blood spot from her heel at birth and found that the uh, virus was active at that time or that she, the virus was present. So even though she was asymptomatic, she passed her hearing screening at that time and she progressively lost her hearing um, with that. And so uh, he let us know that the cochlear implants would not be as uh, effective as um, maybe is typically expected because of the CMV and the brain injury. Um, and but he was willing to go forward with the surgery still because it could have some benefit and uh they felt it was still um uh could be a positive thing and so we went forward with that and uh we're going along and uh just short of her second birthday um 
the our neurologist uh, had some concerns with some things and had her evaluated by a psychologist, and she was uh, diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorder as well. Okay. And um, those are kind of the two things that we've been going forward with. Um, those are the, the ways that she's been affected so far. Um, she's had her eyes tested uh, three times. I think she's been dilated and checked for vision. And so far, um, her vision is, is okay. And uh, then additionally, uh, she meets with her neurologist uh, now or to annually with both, both the vision and the uh, neurologist to check in with everything. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed an improvement with her um, communication from the cochlear implant? And are you guys doing signing with her as well? Yes. Uh, well, okay. So no and yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the cochlear implants, um, she has uh, not progressed really with that at this point. Um, we've gone through... Um, and they progressively increased the volume. Um, and she right. got to a point where it was too much for her and just when she put them on, that was overwhelming and she would just start crying and tear them off. And so we had to kind of go backwards and start over again. And we've been progressing back up. Um, we have our next appointment to uh, add new programs at a higher volume in July. Uh, but mm-hmm. at, at this point, she hasn't... Um, uh, shown signs of responding to sound or alerting to sound or anything with that. Um, we, when we were deciding to get the cochlear implants, um, something that was, uh, we chose to do a, a total communication where we're learning uh, ASL as well. We have a, a ASL instructors through the uh, DHHS, uh, Heart of Hearing yep. Services. Um, was sure. coming to our house and now we are doing zoom sessions with because of COVID-19, yep. <laughs> so, um, yep. so we're learning ASL. Um, she was picking it up, um, or some things up, uh, at first, um, she had gotten to maybe 10 or 12 signs that, uh, she knew, and then she regressed, um, and is to the point where, uh, right now she signs all done uh, a little bit and she signs, um, please. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of the other signs that uh, that she was doing have regressed. And we had gone to a conference at Fresno State last year um, that was uh, for uh, deaf and autism uh, combination. And uh, deaf and autistic children and got to uh, hear presentations from a lot of uh, experts in the field and parents and different things and make some connections there. And... Uh, it was interesting. Um, the they had some slides that showed like deaf children express this way, autistic children express this way, and the combination expresses this way. And it was a lot of the things that we'd observed uh, with Isla, and um, that uh, we also specifically asked a lot of the the teachers uh, that are at um, schools of the deaf and different things um, if they had children that. Um, their deafness was caused by CMV and, and such. And uh, they were all very familiar with that. And they said it's uh, fairly common. Um, and I've listened or heard or read um, some stuff about how there's um, some link between CMV and autism um, as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, with her 
cochlear implants. There hasn't been um, progress yet. Uh, we're still working with our uh, audiotherapist and um, continuing to go to our audiologist and uh, work toward potential of her getting some stuff. What we don't know is whether the brain injury has um, uh, prevented her ability to process the sound. We know it's getting in because um, the nerves respond, but uh, we don't know how, what level she's processing at this point. She's not responding even to like a really loud noise. She doesn't startle or turn her head or anything. Um, but we sure. are signing with her a lot uh, for communication. And we also use a PEX system that has been very good for us. Uh, PEX is a P-E-C-S. It's Picture Exchange Communication System. And so she has a binder um, with uh, little icons that are Velcroed in on strips um, that she goes through and uh, they have different activities or a picture of uh, like a picture of the shower or a picture of uh, the backyard or a food item that she likes and or a, she wants her iPad or a show she wants to watch, whatever it is. She goes to that binder, will grab what she wants and come and hand it to us um, to communicate that. Or um, if we'll give her like three options of which of these do you want, she'll pick. Um, and we use it to direct her as well. We use a visual schedule um, where we'll like uh, go ahead and give her, like if it's time to do some potty training or whatever, we'll give her the icon for the toilet to know that it's time to go there. When she has uh, her uh, ABA therapy for um, her autism, she uh, sure. there's a cube chair that's red that she sits in. And so we have a picture of that. So when it's time for her therapy or time to come back from a break, we give her that icon, she starts crying, and then goes and sits in the chair. Uh, so <laughs> she's not, she doesn't, she she does it, but she's not, she understands what she's supposed to do. She's just is communicating. She's not happy about it. Um, so yeah, that's mainly um, what we use. And then she's pretty forceful with grabbing our hand and giving us, and giving us what she wants or putting our hand to try to get us to give her what she wants. Wow. So it sounds like it's quite been quite a journey for both of you. Um, and ideally, ironically, I, that's the case, I'm sure, for all CMB parents. And so I think it's clear that no one prior to had heard of CMB. So my next question would be, what was your reaction or your first thoughts when, when you were aware of what CMB was or when you first heard that that had impacted and infected your child? So for me, it was almost denial. I just, you know, I think my first reaction is my mind really couldn't process that there was a virus out there that I had never heard of in my entire life that had cost my son his life. I just, you know, could barely even begin to fathom it. And then, you know, probably some anger after that. And just, you know, for the same reason that we, you know, had done all the things right that you try to do to, you know, help your pregnant wife and the unborn baby be supported and, and, you know, a virus that ultimately should be so preventable. Yeah. And, and that's what we hear a lot from, I've not heard one parent yet who's, who said they actually were aware of what CMV was prior to. So um, mm -hmm. unfortunately that has been consistent throughout all of my conversations, having started with the organization not too long ago. And so in the same vein, you know, we hear about, I wasn't aware, I didn't know, I did everything right. 
what would you say would be recommended suggestions for increasing awareness, particularly amongst men and fathers? Um, you know, is it we need to have more conversations with our medical providers? Is it a certain campaign that you think would resonate best with men? But in your opinion, what, what's needed as far as increasing awareness? You know, I certainly think medical providers would be a great start. That was something that occurred to me shortly after we found out. Like, how is this not something we heard from our doctor during the pregnancy? If it's something that is, you know, pretty easily preventable and we could have taken, you know, four or five easy steps and really reduced our risk, how were we not told about that? And so I would love to see a world where, you know, the OBGYN was always telling you know, at one of the very early appointments, pregnant women, you know, hey, these are four or five things you need to do. This is a serious virus. It's the number one cause of infectious birth defects. And, you know, this needs to happen. As far as men specifically, um, I mean, I really feel like the healthcare providers, again, even if it was my primary care doctor, you know, they know I have children. They know that I'm at that age where that's likely something that would happen for me, I, I would appreciate that from my primary care doctor to say, you know, this is something to be aware of. If your wife is pregnant, your steps you need to take. I know this seems like a low percentage chance, but you, know, you need to be aware of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I would echo that definitely with the, the healthcare providers um, at all the appointments that you go to. I mean, it was our, our first child and so I mean, I'm, we're going to the appointments, we're listening to everything that the OB and our, our uh, doctors are recommending and telling us. I mean, and uh, we got lots of packets and different things that had, hey, here's, uh, if you want to test for Down syndrome, if you want to test for this, if you want to test for that. And there was all these things that are very low percentage. And I'm, I, I don't know the, the exact numbers as to whether they're higher or lower or roughly the same as CMV. Um, but so many things that have a very low occurrence, they are, have test for, uh, and they're also able to uh, just provide a lot of information. You get a packet that has a paper on this possible thing, a paper on this possible thing, and just ways you can prevent them and ways you can uh, take precautions to uh, avoid putting yourself in situations that would increase your likelihood of those things. And, and and yeah, I mean, it was, that was definitely one of the, like Andy, uh, that was one of the first things that went to my mind was uh, maybe a little bit of frustration. With, why have I never heard about this? We went to all these appointments, we had all these meetings with doctors, and this was not on the list of things that to look out for somewhere. Um, and I mean, the second thing I, I've heard more recently, I, I, just health classes in general. Um, we learn a lot about in high school and college if you're taking health classes of uh, all the different diseases or um, uh, chronic illnesses, birth defects, different things that can occur. And I, I've never had, had heard of it. And, and like you guys have said, um, I haven't come across anyone who's heard of it um, save for uh, one other person. And it's because they had a daughter. Uh, who was deaf also, and we knew that she was deaf, and she let, her, let us know that the cause of her deafness was uh, CMV. And so that was the first time we'd ever 
heard of that or known that. Yeah, I think that's a super common thing that we've all mentioned. I'm I'm the same boat as you guys are too with my wife. Um, and that's kind of where this whole podcast idea came from and everything that we're doing now for like events and just trying to raise awareness for CMB, which is kind of strange. We have to raise awareness for it because of everything you mentioned, how common it actually is. And I'd argue that it's actually more common than even it is because nobody tests for it. So who knows how many deafness and other things that are out there that are caused from CMB, but we're never tested and actually quoted as CMB. So I bet it's way more common than we give it credit for. Um, but that's a good segue to the next question is kind of, I'll start with you, Andy. You know, what are some of the things you've been doing in your personal life to try to raise awareness for CMB over the past you know, year or so? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we didn't do a whole lot for the first, you know, eight months a year just because it was an awful lot trying to get over just everything that happened and processing it within our family. And uh, Ross was our third child. So we had two little girls, Violet and Lucy, who, you know, already were expecting a little brother and, you know, had to help get them through understanding, you know, that maybe Ross couldn't come home and that it was because of a virus. And so I think that was kind of our first level of spreading awareness, even just within our family. Uh, you know, certainly then it was our extended families and friends and, you know, talking to them about CMV. And I've since had uh, several really close friends and family, actually, that have had babies in the last year. And you know, I definitely wanted to make sure that they knew. And so for us, it's been more of a, you know, fairly intentional word of mouth, just talking to everybody we know, making sure that at least in our sphere of influence, there's nobody who has not heard the words CMV. Um, you know, beyond that, though, that's why I reached out about trying to get involved with the foundation. I uh, Actually, it was right at our son's one-year birthday that I got to thinking, you know, it's time. We've got to get involved and do something to spread the word beyond just our sphere of influence. I feel like we've probably uh, told everybody that we know, you know, locally here more than they want to about CMB. Right. So, <laughs> You know, it's time to see if we can have a bigger impact. And it's all about the foundation and, and love the cause. And I hope that we can, you know, have an impact maybe on medical providers locally and nationally. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Nick? Have you tried to do anything to increase awareness for it? Um, I mean, definitely word of mouth and talking to uh, our friends, family, and making sure that they're aware. Um, anybody we know that's having a, a kid, letting them know some of the things to be aware of and careful of and just trying to uh, spread some awareness that way and have them look into it. Um, additionally, with that, um, we've just recently started uh, getting kind of more involved with things. Uh, my wife is uh, the California ambassador for uh, National TMV and is getting involved with that. And um, we have a lot of discussions about different ideas uh, for campaigns and uh, things just locally uh, in our city and county, as well as for statewide in California here. Um, and so, I mean, uh, definitely, I mean, one of the, the biggest things that I, I think would have been, uh, even if we'd never heard of it with anything, is just getting some literature in OB's offices 
so that if you're sitting waiting for the doctor to come in, that it's one of the flyers that is sitting there that you grab and kind of look at and glance over and just have some level of awareness of um, different things of uh, prevention. Just the, the more awareness and more information out there, the better. We're trying to Absolutely. impact that. Uh, we just did a uh, deal with Moderna, who's uh, creating a vaccine, working to create a vaccine. And uh, so we had a talk with them a few days ago, and uh, are hearing about what they're doing and sharing our story, and then um, kind of going forward and uh, some of the interest of, of being involved with this podcast as well. We appreciate both of you guys' efforts, um, which is a good segue into the next question, which is um, so much is going on worldwide. We have this COVID-19 situation, people adapting to a new normal, whatever that looks like. And so wanted to just ask you all, um, what are some ideas you have or suggestions you would give to folks who say there's so much going on, but I still want to give, what are some small thoughtful ways that folks can give or get involved or help to spread CMV awareness information or um, increase awareness about congenital CMV in general? Well, I think for one thing, the fact that, you know, this pandemic is another virus, just like CMV is a virus, has, you know, kind of been a conversation starter for my wife and I, uh, especially as, you know, we had kind of gotten to the one year anniversary of our son being born. Um, going through that experience, it was really ironic to then also be going through a global virus pandemic at the same time. Um, so I, I would encourage anybody that, you know, the virus is certainly a hot topic right now. And if you're interested in spreading CMV awareness, what more of an open door could you ask for? Um, also, I, I still have had, and I know a lot of people have been having talks just like what we're doing now uh, via Zoom or whatever service. Uh, we're still just as much in touch with people, I feel like, and sometimes you know, even more so because everybody's being intentional about staying in touch. That's a, a pretty good way to be able to, you know, spread awareness is just starting up conversations through, you know, whatever venue you have. Yeah, I always say there's no there's no real excuse for not being able to raise awareness because you literally only have to move your thumb twice, which means sharing a post on social media. That's the least amount of energy you can exhibit to raise awareness for CMV. Or you can create and organize a 5K or whatever. So there's a huge gamut of things you can do. But there's always something you can do to raise awareness for CMB. And like I said, moving your thumb twice, everybody can do that and make everybody know more about it. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with what you're saying, Shane, about just social media, I think, is probably the best and fastest way to get things out to um different large circles of people. Um, I, I know when you share something out, all your friends and people you interact with are going to see that. Any of them that like that or comment on it, it's going to pop up in their friends' streams that they commented on this or liked that. And there's all kinds of uh, random connections and things that can be made um, with that. And just getting something that somebody maybe looks at and goes, huh, what's that? And it's, I think that's how it starts. It's just social media, I think, is probably the, the easiest way to reach a lot of people quickly, um, especially with uh, if you're asking family, friends to, to share different things and uh, help raise awareness. And I think coming up on, uh, on June will be a good opportunity to 
have lots of those type of uh, posts that can reach a lot of people. So that's a shameless plug here for everyone listening in. You can certainly check out the National CMV Foundation's website. Um, we do have a listing of activities um, for the month of June, as well as different avenues and platforms that folks can use uh, to get involved. You can fundraise on Facebook, donate a birthday, as Shane mentioned, create a 5K. We do have a Strides for CMV 5K coming up June 27th. So there are a plethora of ways for folks to get involved without doing too much heavy lifting. Um, Nick and Andy, I think those are great suggestions about really ramping up efforts on social media. Go ahead, Shane. So I was just going to say, um, we talked a lot about the messaging or the lack thereof messaging, especially in the doctor's offices or even potentially on social media. So what do you think the, what do you think the is mess? Let me start that over. What do you think is missing from the general dialogue messaging that would increase or help raise awareness for a CMV? Yeah, so the thing that struck me the most when I started investigating and trying to learn about CMV myself was just that, you know, kind of like is on the National CMV Foundation's website, there are four or five really easy steps, like not eating after your kids, making sure you're, you know, thoroughly washing dishes and uh, not sharing food. You know, I, I know I'm missing a couple, but those, you know, easy steps that you kind of hopefully just build in and embody as a common practice once you learn about them are um, such a great starting point. So just basically just trying to increase general general hygiene, really washing your hands, stuff like that. And then maybe more specifically for not maybe kissing your children on the mouth or uh, healthcare workers, stuff like that. Um, We've had a couple interesting conversations recently around COVID where everybody is social distancing. Everybody is hyper aware of hygiene. You know, will that actually in turn result in a decrease in CMV infection as a result of that? That's something interesting that we may potentially see because of this. Um, but I agree completely. What about you, Nick? What, what kind of things do you think are missing from the whole dialogue right now that would help raise CMV awareness? I, I, I think that I would agree with uh, Andy that a lot of it is um, just hygiene in general and just awareness of things. Um, something that uh, I had read um, just about how a lot of times you get it from young children and can sometimes get it from your own children because you have you don't have an awareness of it and just that exposure. And I think just learning those those situations and learning to just be just more careful in those times um, when you're going through those things and, and not knowing is, I mean, that's just the worst part of it. Awesome. And I would like to add to, you know, as a, an extra push or leverage, you know, our job here is to make sure we really increase awareness. And then once folks do know, making sure that they have the skills necessary to be proactive in having these conversations with their medical providers. Um, Andy, as you mentioned, and having these conversations with your family and friends, you know, we definitely want to move it from increasing awareness to actually action. And so we hope to really equip folks with, okay, I know what this is, or I know somewhat of what this is. And now, you know, I need to ask these questions or look and do more, more research or what have you. So thank you all for those points. I think, um, Something key that I wanted to definitely mention when we were organizing and planning and brainstorming about this podcast is, uh, you know, 
where do where do men go for resources or support after hearing or learning about CMV? You hear a lot of groups online for mothers and women. Um, so are there any particular resources that you wish existed for men when we have this CMV conversation or that you are aware of? So for me, I, I can't say I'm aware of any great resource, honestly, uh, as far too many men probably do after I learned about it and was kind of going through that hard time. I uh, dealt with a lot of that internally, which I know is not always the healthy thing to do. Uh, I think having an obvious CMV, like dad's group or some you know, resource there for men that when, uh, as we oftentimes do, we search online trying to get some answers if that wasn't a readily available option that you, you know, almost couldn't help but see, I think a lot of men would take advantage of that and benefit from it. Yeah, um, for for me, I definitely went online and looked at uh, just medical information in general about it, and found uh, organizations like National CMV that had more um, stories from other families and. Um, more information, more personal. Um, there wasn't anything specifically for dads. And, and like Andy said, uh, I think I internalized a lot of it. And for us, one of the things that, I mean, I, I kind of feel like is almost kind of still the situation to some extent, we're starting to settle into um, somewhat of routine, but at the same time, like, there's just always a like, okay, what's next? What do we need to do next? And it's, I, I think that that might not be specific to a parent of just a kid with CMV. I think that that's any parent is looking to do whatever they can for their kid to help them be healthy and successful in whatever way you can. And that um, with, with us and our daughter, it, there's just a lot more, that what's the next appointment? What's um, for us in the Central Valley, and uh, we were have we are neurologist and our audiologist are both in the Bay Area and Stanford, and it's a three-hour drive each way. Um, and so it's a lot of planning the next trip, planning the next appointment, um, getting her to all the different uh, therapies and different things in her team to uh, help her progress and be as successful as possible. Uh, going forward. So it's, I, I think that that's something that I didn't always take enough time to reflect on what I was going through and what maybe we were going through as a family. Um, uh, I, I definitely did a lot of listening for my wife and uh, talking her through um, different things. But for me, I, I think that I, in a lot of respects, kind of shut off the emotional aspect of it and just focused on the practical what do we need to do next? what's next what's next what's next and just very kind of goal-oriented with that and i think having a group or um, resources specifically to uh, help process that and go through all the emotions with it i, I don't think uh, i think i gave myself a lot of time to to grieve um the somewhat the, the changes that we were going through and um, kind of the new the new normal of things. It was just kind of one foot in front of the next and what's coming. So I, I think some stuff for dads specifically would be 
helpful and something I'd be interested or willing to participate in to help anybody in the future. Yeah, I noticed that in my whole journey so far too, especially in the very beginning, um, where obviously we were both very emotionally distraught when Grace was born, but my wife was extremely distraught when she was born and really wasn't in the right mindset to really make those decisions. And like you said, I was able to kind of shut my emotions off, which wasn't healthy and just focus on objective data, objective decisions. What is going to benefit grace the most next and just move on to the next thing. And I probably didn't process it for a good eight to nine months. I just kept on rolling with the punches and kept on going through it. Ben, if I wasn't proactive with my research in, you know, getting to the CMB foundation, reading research articles, reading white papers on CMB, my decision-making would be completely just guessing, basically. So I agree with you completely. I think education is crucial for anything, but education is really crucial, I think, for dads because we tend to be the ones making the decisions in the very beginning of treatment, at least in my experience, Um, just because we are able, not to sound like a, a total tough guy, but we are able to potentially shut off the emotions and just focus on what's next. I think something else uh, that I would add as the end of it is I know that with my wife, um, she blamed herself a lot um, and she felt and still feels uh, she definitely felt a lot of, of guilt about that. This was something that she did. That was her fault that um at some level. And I think resources of understanding that that's going to be a natural part of um, the process for uh, the wives and the the women that uh, are going through that. And so resources to help dads understand that and help explain that. I mean, a lot of things, just making it as clear as possible that it's not something that you did out of willfulness or anything. I mean, we didn't know. And you can't blame yourself for going through and doing everything that we knew to do. And I, I think that, um, that that's a tough thing. And that's something that um, uh, the, the dads on the end of it, as, as a couple, there's a lot of helping the moms kind of go through that feeling of responsibility Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I resonate with that completely. Um, Yeah. And that's something that I am working with Kalia on a lot from a foundation perspective, which is why we're doing this podcast now is, you know, what can we do to educate dads and maybe potentially create resources geared towards dads instead of towards moms, which is obviously crucially important too. Um, But like you said, I mean, on Facebook, the that if you type in CMB, CMB mommies is the first thing that pops up. It's 3,500 members. So yeah, there's a ton of dads in there, but it's still called CMB mommies. It's not called CMB parents or CMB, you know, families, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, we're going to kind of close this out too. So I guess, uh, do you have anything in closing that you'd like to share? Um, anything you'd like to kind of have as a, take home message to our audience. Yeah, I mean, just as a take home, I you know, would encourage everybody to do what they can to spread awareness. This is certainly a 
cause that has impacted all of us so heavily. Um, but, you know, I, despite how tough this has been, and I obviously wish my son Ross were here today, but I, you know, wouldn't change him having been here even with CMV and having, you know, gotten to know the special child he was even in the short time he was here. Um, you know, these CMV kids have a lot to offer. And, you know, I, I just want to send kind of that word of encouragement to anybody who is struggling with CMV or you know, the effects of it. You know, you're not alone. There are resources, people you can connect with. And, uh, I would encourage everybody to get involved. Yeah, I would say, I mean, kind of what we've been talking about a lot overall, just the information out there and raising awareness. And um, if you can donate to... Uh, national organizations or uh, Moderna's out there working to develop a vaccine to help with things, just the more really just sharing the information, sharing the awareness and working toward uh, uh, just a greater level of awareness of CMV. You both bring up some really, really great points, um, some really good observations and some things for Shane and I to think about in the foundation as a whole, as we really try to move forward and kind of diversify our educational materials, uh, what our parent makeup looks like, definitely getting more fathers involved as well. And so Shane and I, the foundation as a whole, we want to thank you both Andy and Nick for your time today. We really appreciate your feedback, your thoughts, your insight. And I really hope this resonates with CMV parents, but especially our CMV dads who may need some additional support or resources. And this kind of just really help them get through another day. And so thank you all so much for your time. For those listening, we appreciate your time listening. Please make sure you stay tuned and abreast of our activities, especially for June, which is CMV Awareness Month. You can go to National CMV, our website, um, to get additional information. And so with that, we want to thank everyone for listening in and have a great evening.